Good morning, everyone. It's hard not to sing. I've been trying not to sing. I usually sing myself hoarse on Sunday mornings, and I thought it might not be a good idea if I'm supposed to speak to be hoarse. Uh, but it, you can't stop singing on that one. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Do you know that? My sin, not in part, not a little bit, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. That's wonderful news. I can say that's true of me. I hope you can say that's true of you. It's wonderful to know salvation through Christ the Lord, and I hope you know that. I, um, I want to thank those who play music. Such a wonderful thing to come here and sing on Sunday mornings and praise the Lord together. And that was a wonderful thing you did in the middle of one of those songs. You went up. Did you go up a note, an octave, a scale? I, I have no idea what you did. What was that? An octave? A note. See? I have no idea. They just did it, and it was wonderful. And they all did it together. Even Bolo did it on the drums. It was wonderful. Thank you. It was wonderful. It's good to be with you this morning, and it's good to see you out. And uh, I want to thank those especially who read the bulletins and saw I was speaking and came anyway. Thank you, Birch, for coming. Yeah. <laughs> that special effort. I want, to, I want to talk to you today about the ultimate requirement for salvation. I want to talk to you today about what is necessary in order for you to know that you're going to heaven. What does God require of us in order for us to enter his heaven? How can we know that we are saved? How does one become a citizen of heaven? I had the, the wonderful privilege, my wife and I had the privilege of attending the ceremony where, where Gabriel and Atunike became Canadian citizens. And it was a wonderful time. And I'm sure they had to go through a process in order to become Canadian citizens. I was born a Canadian citizen. I don't know the process. But Gabriel and Atunike can tell you how difficult that was to become a Canadian citizen. Is it difficult to become a citizen of heaven? What kind of a process must we go through? Religion would tell you there are many ways. There are many religions, so there must be many ways. But I'm here to tell you this morning there are not many ways. There is only one way. Only one way for us to know that we are citizens of heaven. I'm not surprised that people are confused. And if you're confused this morning, I want you to come and hear. I want you to listen to God's way of salvation, to God's way for citizenship in heaven. To get to God's heaven, you must come God's way. Not some other way, not some way of your own making, but God's way. But what is that requirement? I want you to open your Bibles with me, please, and go to the Gospel of John. We're going to look at one of the most familiar passages of Scripture found in the Bible. And it's, it's the third chapter of John. We're going to rewind just a little bit into chapter 2, but mainly the third chapter of John today. On the rewind, let's pick it up in John chapter 2 and verse 23. John chapter 2 and verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. Now the he here is the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus, notice in verse 24, Jesus on his part, while many were believing in him, while many were thinking, now this could be the Messiah, this could be the deliverer, this could be the one who redeems us from the bondage of Rome, while many were thinking he could be the Messiah, Jesus Christ on his part was not entrusting himself to them. 
For he knew all men. I want you to hang on to that. He knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. The Lord Jesus Christ knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows us inside and out. How does that make you feel? He knows you better than you know yourself. And so he did not entrust himself to these people who were saying they believed in him. And then one man comes and speaks. Before we look at that conversation, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for the privilege, the honor, the opportunity to share your word with these people this morning. Thank you for those who in this congregation this morning know Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And thank you for those who have come who maybe don't. Maybe they're sure they don't. Maybe they don't know if they do or not. Maybe they're just wondering what it's all about. But thank you for sending each and every one of us here this morning, for bringing us here, and for allowing us this opportunity. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our thoughts. Help me to say what is true, that truth may be expounded today. And may the, the truth of God, combined with the action of the Holy Spirit, stir a heart today to bring them to faith in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus. Now, many of you know this story by heart. You know what happens in this story. But for those who maybe don't, I want to just talk to you a little bit about the person. The Lord God Almighty is interested in people, in individuals, not just nations, not just large groups, but individuals. He's interested in you this morning. And he was interested in Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was interested in Christ. This man, Nicodemus, was a special man. He was a man, well, his name means victorious among his people. The, the parents named him this name, Nicodemus. It's a Jewish name, right? And these are Jewish parents, and you know how Jewish parents are. They want their kids, they know their kids are going to be the best, the greatest, the handsomest, the most prosperous, the most effective, and, and this is great. They instill this in their children from the beginning, so they even name this guy victorious among his people. Here's Nicodemus. Little Nicodemus grows up with these parents telling him how great he's going to be. And he grows up to be quite great. Of the Pharisees, it says. He was a Pharisee. These Pharisees were the, the most prominent, most powerful religious people in Jesus' day. He was a very religious man. They were keepers of the law. They believed in the literal interpretation of the Scriptures. And they, they believed in it so literally that they added to it. And if you want to keep the law, here's how you do it. Minute of detail in how to keep the law. And they prided themselves in keeping the law. And, and pride is the operative word there. They were very proud, very self-righteous. They were the Pharisees. And he was a Pharisee, a very religious, super fundamentalist, religionist person. That's Nicodemus. He was also, the scripture says, a ruler of the Jews. That means that he was a part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was probably what we might call today the Supreme Court. 
They were the people that, that could hold court and, and, and make judgments upon other people. And it was the highest court as far as the Jews were concerned in the land. Now, the Romans had other ideas about that. But as far as the Jews were concerned, this was the highest court. And these 70 or so men, they had a high and prestigious position. So he was a religious man, but he was also a very respected man in the community. And finally, and we don't have this in the scripture, the Bible does not say this, but rabbinic tradition tells us that Nicodemus was the third wealthiest man in all of Jerusalem. He was religious, he was respected, and he was rich. Had he made it? Was he a success? Would mom and dad be proud? I think probably so. He was a very important man in the community, a flaming success. But Jeremiah in his book wrote in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might or his strength. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. Those are not things to boast in. Those are not things that make you successful. Nicodemus had all of these things, but Nicodemus was not at peace. He was not satisfied. What if you had all these things that Nicodemus had? What if you were rich? What if you were respected? What if you had some position of religious importance? Would you feel satisfied? Would you feel successful? Many people try to attain to these things. And yet when they come to the end, when they, when they attain these things, when they finally have these things in their grasp, they do not feel successful. They do not feel satisfied. There is something missing. And you would be no different. You and I are no different. Because there's something deep within inside of us that must be answered to, and it is that, that call of God. It is not just that you become wealthy in this world. That is not going to satisfy. It is not that you have a place in this world. That's not going to satisfy. What, the only thing that can satisfy is a relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. And until you have that relationship, you will never have peace. No Christ, no peace. You must have Christ Jesus the Lord. Now I want you to notice that when... Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, though he was respected, though, though he was religious, as I've said, he was not satisfied with those things because those things cannot satisfy your soul. Nicodemus came to Christ because he had a question. He had a yearning, a longing in his heart. There was something that Nicodemus wanted to ask the Lord Jesus Christ. He had what philosophers might call ontological issues. He needed to know about being. Why? 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 If we ever get a moment's quiet, if the cell phone happens to die on you, if the internet crashes, if you're homesick in bed, sometimes these questions come to mind. When you get a moment's peace, sometimes these questions come to mind. Questions like this, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Where do you get answers to those questions? Neither wealth nor popularity, nor even religion can give you answers to those questions. Only God can give you answers to those questions. You must know him, and he can give you the answers. Only God. So Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ, and I want to say this, that he should be given credit. He knew where to go. <laughs> he knew where to go to get the answers to his questions. A lot of people in this world today don't know where to go to get answers to these questions. He came to Christ Jesus, for Christ Jesus alone has the answers to life's most important questions. It's no good to go to Buddha. It's no good to go to Muhammad. It's no good to go to Confucius. The Dalai Lama doesn't know. 
Dr. Phil doesn't know. <laughs> Oprah. These people don't know. They do not have the answers to the questions, the important questions of life. You've got to go to God for these questions. You've got to go to the Lord Jesus Christ with these questions. And Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we give him credit. He came to the right person. I wonder who you've been asking for answers. Who have you been going to for your answers? Who have you been consulting? If you're not consulting God Almighty, you're not consulting the right person. Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 2 it says, He came by night and he said to him, Rabbi, Master, Teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. We know, we are sure that you are a teacher sent from God. Who did Nicodemus say that he was? That Jesus was? A teacher come from God. But that is far short of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. At the office this past week, I was out in the entry and in the, in the reception area, and there was a conversation going on. I shared this with Gabe. Conversation going on there with my co among my coworkers, and something was said about the Lord Jesus Christ that I could not abide. And I told the woman that said this, I said, you have gone too far in saying what you said. At that moment, another lady spoke up and trying to probably smooth things over. She said, well, I believe that Jesus was a good man. He was a good man. And, and, and I, I think he was a great teacher. And, and I believe that, that he was probably a, a prophet. The Muslims say that he was a prophet. I, I believe that he probably was. She was hoping to encourage me with this. And I said to her, you think he was a good man? Yes. You think he was a great teacher? Yes. Do you think he was a son of God? No. But I said, but hang on. This good man, this great teacher, claimed to be the I Am. He told the religious people that he was the I Am, the name for Jehovah God. They were so convinced of what he meant that they were picking up stones to stone him. At another point in time, he said that he had the power on earth to forgive sins. The religious people knew that only God could forgive sins. And Jesus knew in his heart what they were thinking. And he said, connect the dots. I can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Draw the conclusion. When he showed himself to his disciples after his resurrection... And the first time he showed himself, Thomas wasn't there. But the second time, a week later, Thomas was there. And as he showed him his hands and the, and the wounds in his hands, Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. And Jesus did not say, oh no, Thomas, hang on. Don't blaspheme. I'm only a man. He did not say that. Because Thomas' confession was true. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you think he was a great teacher? Someone to mold your life after? Someone to follow? A good man. You can't have it that way. You can't say that he was those things and not say that he was the Son of God because he said he was the Son of God. He cannot be a good man and a great teacher if he's lying about that. Nicodemus came to Christ with only a partial understanding of who he was. He understood that he was a great teacher. Come from God, but he did not understand that he was God. He had to come to that point. And so do you. 
You have to come to that point where you understand who the Lord Jesus Christ really and truly is before you can understand this ultimate requirement for entrance into heaven. In Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ was with his disciples at Pisidian Antioch. And as he was going there, he, he stopped and he looked at his disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some people say that you are Elijah. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus looked at him and he said, who do you say that I am? You know, one day you're going to stand before God. You and I will stand before God. Every one of us are going to stand before God. And God is going to say, not who did other people say. What did Dr. Phil say? He's going to say, who do you say that my son is? Who have you lived for your life? Who do you say right now that Jesus is? Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus Christ with questions on his heart. Questions about who he was, why he was here, where he was going. He had questions about the kingdom of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse number three, answers. He answers him before, before Nicodemus has even asked a question. He answers him. Isn't that amazing? How can he do that? Remember those verses back in chapter two? He knows all men. He knows what's in men. He knew what Nicodemus was thinking. Nicodemus didn't have to ask the question. The Lord Jesus Christ knew what was on his heart. And so he answers in verse number three, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. One needs to be born again. Now, you and I have heard this expression over and over again. This is not the first time you've heard that expression, I'm sure. But Nicodemus had never heard it. Can you imagine what he's thinking? Well, we know what he's thinking. Because he comes out in verse number four and says, How can a man be born when he is old? How can that happen? I'm an older man. I can't possibly be born again. I can't enter into my mother's womb and be born the second time. How can that happen? I appreciate that Nicodemus didn't say why. He didn't say why. He said how. He wasn't arguing with the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't saying, well, that's a stupid idea. He didn't say that. He said, how? How does that happen? That's an honest question, isn't it? How can that happen? How can someone be born again? And the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse number 5, gives him an honest answer. This is not a trick answer. This is not a confusing answer. This is an honest answer from the one who knows to the one who's asking. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there have been many ideas about what, what that means be, to be born of water. And some people believe that it means Christian baptism. You've got to be baptized in order to, to be saved. I don't think so. I don't believe that's what it means. There are people who believe so strongly about this that when a baby is born, they are taken almost immediately to some sort of a, a basin and are, and are sprinkled with water as to be baptized. Because if they should die as an infant and not be baptized, what is their hope of heaven? Well, that's not what Jesus was saying here. He was not speaking about Christian baptism. He couldn't have been speaking about Christian baptism because there was no such thing as Christian baptism at that time. That came later. So he wasn't talking about that. What does it mean then to be born of water? Well, I would assume that Nicodemus would have understood what Jesus was talking about. The Lord Jesus wouldn't speak in some kind of a mysterious language. 
His answer would not have been opaque, hard to see through. It would have been easy for Nicodemus to understand what he was meaning when he said born of water. There had been a man for many months now who had been going about in Judea preaching and baptizing. You know the man's name, John, the baptizer. And his message had been to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn from your sins and be baptized as an expression of that turning. Nicodemus would have understood completely what Jesus was talking about. But he, he is a Pharisee. Some of the Pharisees and some of the Sadducees had come to John. And John had said, what are you guys coming here for? You haven't repented. You're still full of pride. You're still doing things your way. You're not looking to God for, for forgiveness. I'm calling sinners to repentance. People who are willing to admit they're sinners. And so the Lord Jesus Christ tells Nicodemus, in these, this term that he would understand, that he needs to repent. Have you ever repented? Have you ever realized the enormity of your sin? Have you ever realized that sin has separated you from God? And if you continue on in the way that you're going, that you're going to a godless, Christless, hopeless eternity, has it ever dawned on you? I remember when it dawned on me. I was terrified. And you should be. To spend eternity away from God, away from Jesus Christ, in a place that God, God calls hell, eternal fire. John came preaching repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ came preaching repentance too. He hasn't stopped preaching repentance through his, his missionaries, through the people that go out and, and speak the word of God. You must repent. The Lord Jesus Christ said in, in Luke chapter 5, he said, or Luke 13, Luke 13, verses 5 and 8, he said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. We don't like to hear about repentance. Nobody likes to hear that. We don't want to turn from our sin. We don't want to change our ways. We don't want to change. You, see, you know what repentance is, you see? Repentance is a change of mind. It's how we're thinking. A change of mind that brings about a change in direction. You're not going to change your direction until you change your mind. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, change your mind. About what? About yourself. You're a sinner. You're a guilty sinner. So am I. We're tired with the same brush. We're all the same. We're guilty sinners. And we have to be able to acknowledge that. Change your mind about yourself. Change your mind about your sin. The sin is not fun. The sin is taking you down. Oh, it may seem like fun. The Bible says for a season, there's pleasure in sin. But when you see the end of it, the end thereof are the ways of death. Change your mind about that. And change your mind about your sovereign. Yourself, your sin, and your sovereign. Who's the sovereign in your life? Who's the king in your life? For many years, I was a king. I was a king. I was the sovereign. It was what I wanted. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I thought. Is that your sovereign? Are you your own sovereign? You've got to change your mind about that. And when you repent, when you actually change your mind about those things and you turn, and you turn 180 degrees, that's what it means to repent, to turn 180 degrees, you are face to face with God Almighty because you've been running from Him all your life. When you repent, you face Him. 
There he is. And he was there all the time. He was there all the time, and he's not far away. He's right there. All you have to do is turn. Jesus said that you have to be born of water. And then he said you have to also be born of the Spirit. While being born of water speaks of repentance, being born of the Spirit speaks of regeneration, of spiritual birth. We need a spiritual birth. I might ask you, not only have you repented of your sins, have you seen yourself, your sin, and your sovereign? Have you, have you realized that you need to turn? But have you also had a spiritual rebirth? The truth is that we were all born dead, stillborn, in a sense, toward God. Way back yonder, our first father, Adam, was told by God that he must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, the moment of the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely what? Die. He did eat. And he did die. 930 years later, he died physically. But at that moment, he died spiritually. He was separated from God. He chose to be the enemy of God. And his relationship was broken with God. He was dead to God. Dead to God. And we were all born, all of us born in the line of Adam were born dead to God. We need to be made alive. And that's the spiritual side of that. To be born of water is repentance. To be born of the Spirit, that's life. New life. Life that comes only from God, from heaven, born from above. Now the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to illustrate this to him so that Nicodemus could understand. Look at verses 6 and 7. The Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The first illustration is the illustration of different kinds. Different kinds. Remember in Genesis it says that, that things that, are, that God created, recreated after their own kind. You don't have cats giving birth to monkeys. Doesn't happen. And you don't have monkeys giving birth to human beings. That doesn't happen. Everything reproduces after its kind. And that which is of the flesh, reproduced by the flesh, is flesh. That's a, that's a kind. And that which is of the spirit is of the spirit. That's a different kind of life. There's the fleshly life, the human life, the natural life that lives on this planet. But if you want entrance into heaven, if you want to be with the Lord God Almighty for eternity, you have to have a new birth, Jesus was saying. Not a fleshly birth, but a new birth, a spiritual birth. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had that new birth? Have you ever had a birth that is spiritual? You've had a physical birth, I know that. I can tell. But have you had a spiritual birth? I couldn't tell about that. Which brings us to our second illustration. Different winds. Verse number 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind. You know, it's interesting, but if you were to look in Hebrew and look in Greek, and you looked at the word wind in Hebrew and looked at the word spirit in Hebrew, same word. If you looked at the word wind in Greek and the word wind, or excuse me, spirit in, in Greek, it's the same word. Isn't that interesting? They use the same word. It's a matter of context to know whether we're talking about wind or whether we're talking about the Spirit. 
And that's why Jesus' illustration, using the wind and the Spirit together, is so apt. The comparison is so apt. Both are invisible. Both can be sensed, and the presence of both is revealed in their effects. I have never seen the wind, but I've heard it. Last past week, I heard it. Heard a lot of it. I felt it as it beat pieces of, of uh, frozen water on my face when I was walking down the street. Little ice pellets hitting me. That was the wind. And I've seen the trees waving. Why are they doing that? I have this vivid memory of a little child looking out the window and asking my mother, what's going on with the trees? They were moving. The wind. It's the wind. Now, I've never seen the Spirit, but I have heard Him speak through others to my heart. I have never felt the Spirit tangibly, but I have felt Him working in my heart. I've seen the effect of the work of the Holy Spirit on the lives of many, many other people as well. Jesus said, the wind of the Spirit, it impacts us. I believe that the wind of the Holy Spirit was blowing on the soul of Nicodemus that night. But I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He's not at our beck and call. If the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, you need to listen. You just can't command the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If he's speaking to you this morning, listen. Listen to him. If he's saying you need to repent of your sins, you need to repent of your sins. If he's saying you need to, to trust Christ as your Savior, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. Don't walk away from the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. For time's sake, I want you to go with me to verse number 14 and 15. The Lord Jesus Christ took Nicodemus to an Old Testament passage of Scripture. He said, Nicodemus, I want you to remember something. I don't want you to think about the traditions of the elders. I don't want you to think on vain speculations. I want you to think about the very word of God, something that you were familiar with, Nicodemus. I want you to go to, to the book of Numbers, and I want you to remember this story. And in Christ Jesus, the Lord said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Nicodemus knew the story. The people of Israel were grumbling on the way. This is the last great miracle that Moses performed. The people were grumbling, and God sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and the people were dying agonizing death. And they cried out to them, Oh, Moses, call out to God. Have him call the snakes off. And Moses spoke to God, and God said, Moses, here's what you do. You erect a pole, and you put on that pole a bronze serpent, and anyone who looks at the bronze serpent will be healed from the bite. He didn't send the snakes away, but he had a cure. He had a cure. And I want you to know that God has a cure for sin in your life. The venom of those snakes was killing those people. They were dying. But God provided something that would save them from the power of that venom. And that was the snake the bronze snake on a pole lifted up. And all they had to do was look. There was life in a look. It didn't seem reasonable. But to faith it was life. And those who believed and looked were healed. 
I don't know that Nicodemus understood the parallel. I don't know if he, he could connect the dots on this one. But one day, one day, when he stood at Mount Calvary, and when he saw the Savior, the Lord Jesus, hanging nailed to a cross, I think it clicked. There he is, being lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just as you must be born again, I would say to you that Christ Jesus must have been crucified or we would have had no hope of salvation. And so he was lifted up and he hung on the cross and he bled and he died to pay the penalty for our sins and to satisfy the righteous judgment of God against us. I have a question for you. Jesus said that all those who looked upon that serpent were healed. And in verse 16, he says that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? The only way, the only way, the ultimate requirement for salvation is that you be born again. And to be born again is to repent of your sins and to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's no other way. There's no other way. Have you done that? Have you trusted him? I pray that you would trust him this morning and know your sins forgiven. Does that mean that from now on everything's going to be rosy? Right? I trust Christ and everything's going to be great. There will never be a problem. There will never be a sorrow. There will never be an issue in my life. I'm just going to roll along like the, a juggernaut and just, whoa, look out. No. You talk to anybody here who professes Christ as their Savior and they'll tell you life is not easy. But your sins can be forgiven. The charges dropped. You're a child of God for all eternity. A doctor who had served his community well was dying. And one in the community who was a believer who loved this doctor very much came to the doctor's home and began to talk to that doctor about salvation, talked about redemption, talked about forgiveness, talked about reconciliation. These are valid themes that could be talked about with people who do not know Christ. The doctor was unmoved. He did not, he did not seem to be getting it. And then that Christian spoke to the doctor and said, Sir, Dear doctor, do you not understand that you need to be born again? You're dying and you need to be born again in order to see God's heaven. And the doctor's eyes lightened up and he said, what was that? Born again. I need to be born again. This doctor had seen, he'd been privy to, he'd been there and, and seen many children born into the world. He'd helped deliver these children. And he said, that's what I need. I need to be born again. I need, like a baby, a baby has no past. He only has a future. And beloved, if you will trust Christ, your past is gone. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your sins are. They're gone. And you have a future. A future with Christ. A future in heaven. Let's pray. Father, it wasn't just the doctor that needed to be born again. It's not just Nicodemus that needs to be born again. We all need to be born again. 
And I just want to pray, Lord, that you might take this message home to our hearts this morning. Maybe there's somebody in this room today who has never trusted Christ. Maybe the Spirit of the living God is speaking to someone today and saying, you know what? You need to be born again. You need to come to Christ and to trust Him. And I pray that 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 person would not turn away from the salvation that is offered in Christ today. Bring them home, Lord, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.